going to talk about hearing God today, but before, I have a little illustration here I want to show you. And uh, what I've learned with this, this is just a regular water bottle, and this is a bag of ketchup right here. And I've been working on this this week, and I've learned how I can make, command this ketchup to go to the bottom, and then I can command it to come back up. You want to see? All right. Ketchup, I want you to go down. 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 All right. Now, ketchup, I'd like for you to come up. You want to see? Wait. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Let's just do it a couple of times, just so you know. All right, ketchup, I need you to come down. Down. Slowly. Stop. Go on down. Go on down. Okay. Now, when I say go up, I want you to go up. Go up, but I want you to go up slowly. Slower. Slow. Slow. Up. All right. Now, Destin, I want you to tell this ketchup to go down. Ketchup, go down. Down. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. He only listens to my voice. Ketchup, go down. I want you to go down. All right, Destin, tell it to go up. Up, ketchup. That's right, stay there. Now, now go up. There we go. Good boy. <clears throat> now, the reason that that ketchup went up and went down when I told it to, because I was the creator of this. I, I made this happen. I knew how to make it. I put it together, and I did it. Destin didn't. There are a lot of voices out there that are yelling messages at us in the world. A lot of voices that you hear. Sometimes people are even claiming to be God. But there's only really one voice of God. I want us to talk about hearing God today. This is a topic that if you include the will of God inside this frame of uh, topic, that's probably the question that I'm asked as much as anything else over the last 30 years. A lot of times we get really, really consumed as, what does God want me to do? And how do I hear from God? <clears throat> how do I get that word from God? How do I hear him? I think this is a good question, but I think for us to properly understand Scripture and for us to properly hear from God, most of us have to have a paradigm change. And what do I mean by that? Do you remember the movie? Some of you probably do. There was a movie called The Sixth Sense. It came out in the late 90s with Bruce Willis. He was a psychologist, and he was the primary actor of the show. And I usually don't watch a lot of kind of shows like that. I'm not really big on sci-fi or any kind of horror. It turned out this was not a horror movie. But at work one day at a church, I was working at a church, and this lady said, you've got to see this movie. It's like the best movie ever. I don't want to spoil it for you. You've got to go watch it. So it's Thursday night, it's like 9 o'clock, this is back in the old days, went to Blockbuster and put the thing in my DVR, you know, and, uh, and I put the big tape in there and I start watching this and okay, and it's Bruce Willis is a psychologist and at the beginning of the movie there's a scene where one of his former patients breaks into his house and shoots him and, um, you, you, and, and we saw that and think he died, but then he's, then he's back, so apparently he got bear, better. And, you know, all throughout this movie, <clears throat> he's dealing with this little boy, and this little boy uh, 
believes what Bruce Willis thinks are hallucinations. He keeps seeing people who've died and they're talking to him. As a matter of fact, his famous line is, I see dead people. They don't know that they're dead. Okay? So he keeps seeing these people and they're telling him things. And so his mom's very concerned, as you can imagine. So she takes him to see Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis is working with him. And he's very kind, very nice. And it seems like they're making a little headway and uh, you know, he continues to see things and hear things, and Bruce Willis is thinking he's, you know, he's somewhat schizophrenic, and I'm, I'm going to help him. And but then you get to the end of the movie, and it show, totally changes the paradigm, and you find out some information that you haven't had the whole movie, and it totally impacts and totally changes the way that you look at the movie. And I'm gonna, a spoiler: this movie's 22 years old. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it yet. Okay, you need to get out more often if you haven't seen it. So I'm going to spoil the whole thing for you. Some guy said, I wish you hadn't told me. I said, I wish you'd go to the movies more than ever, once every 25 years. But anyway, so what happens is um, Bruce Willis finds out, um, you know, he's having problems with his wife. She's real disconnected and they can't seem to communicate and she's not. Uh, they're just a lot of distance. There's just a lot of problems there and he just feels like he's getting further and further away from her. And you see that he's dealing with that. And then you find out at the end of the movie, guess what? Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> he's dead. That's the reason he couldn't connect with his wife. So he, he's, he's dead. Some guy told me last hour, he said, yeah, we would just rather believe that he's alive and, and than, than believe he was dead and still not be able to connect. But anyway, so he can't communicate. He can't connect. And, um, and now it just kind of blows my mind that all the time Bruce Willis has been dead. So when he got shot, he didn't mostly die. He died, you know, and so he's gone, and he is one of those dead people that doesn't know that he's dead, and so it changes that. Now, I was so fascinated by it. I go, there's no way, because I saw him talking to his wife on this. So I, it's about 11.30, and I've got to work the next day. I go back and watch it again. Now, you know, with that information, I'm going, good night. That is incredible. And it changed the way that I looked at that movie. It changed the way that I understood that movie. I think that paradigm shift is necessary for us to understand how to hear God. Because most of us kind of have this mindset that we grew up with. You know, when, when I was growing up in the 80s, and, uh, you know, I remember the, the big thing was, you know, do something that you love. Do something that you're interested in. Follow your passion. And that's, that's great. Uh, the only problem we kind of run into with that, they, they, matter of fact, they've literally done this survey. What do most teenagers, 17 and 18-year-olds, they said, what is your passion? What is your biggest interest? You know what their interests are? 92% said either sports, art, or music. And guess what? In, our, in, our, in the United States today, the US, uh, U.S. job market, only about 3% of the jobs do that. So you've got nearly 93% of the people going, what I'm really interested in is doing music. I'm really interested in playing sports. I'm really interested in art. And what we find is that, well, there are, there's only so many jobs there, and so you're probably going to have to do something else. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't have passion. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't have interest. You can have them. But you might not make a living at art. You might. You might not make a living in sports. That's what happened to me, okay? That's exactly what happened to me because I remember hearing all this stuff, you know, hey, you just want to do something you love. Do something you're really interested in. What do, what do you really like? Well, I like sports. So I think what I'd like to do is play football and baseball professionally and do them both. That's what I want to do. And so that's what I decide. I'm like 11, then I get through and I get into high school and I realize, you know, there are other people that are better at football than I am. And there's about 12 people on our team that are better than I am. We can't all play in the pros. And so it became painfully obvious 
that I wasn't going to play professional football. So, all right, baseball. I'm actually better at baseball. I'm built more for baseball. I'll do professional baseball. So I'm in my head, I'm going to be a pro baseball player. That's what I'll do. And then I get to age 17, 18, you know, and the schools are giving out their scholarships. And you know how many I got? None. I got zero. Wait, this is my passion. This is my interest. I'm going to play pro baseball, and nobody wants me. I, I did, however, have one school that did, they did make me an offer. They said, we would love for you to come out and walk on with your scholarship. No, there'll be no money involved, but you can come try out. My dad said, you know, son, anybody can do that, right? You do know that anybody can do that. Yeah, I guess that's right. So now I got to change my pursuit, my vocation. It's not going to be professional baseball. I will say this. I would like to say the only thing that stopped me from playing professional baseball, I could have played. The only reason I didn't was because of talent. That's the only thing that stopped me from playing, okay? I had the heart and I had the will and I wanted to, but I just wasn't good enough. So nevertheless, so now I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do, you know, and so I go to college. My parents encourage me and, you know, you're going to go to school. And so I was that guy, you probably hide your teenagers, put your hands over their ears right now. I was that guy that changed my major every semester. I'm not kidding you. Every semester, I got to the end of my junior years, I'd had six majors. I graduated with four minors. I don't like to brag, but uh, I got to the end of my junior year, and I literally went into the academic advisor. I go, what will you give me for all these hours? Like, I did summer class, I got like over 100 hours, and I've majored in psychology, sociology, business, education, PE, and I mean, I just, I couldn't even keep up. I've had all these majors, what am I closest to? And they came up with this degree program I'd never even heard of. I don't think I've still heard of anybody ever having it. They came up with this program, they go, well, you, you can get this, and so I said, I'll take it. I don't even know what it is, I'll take it. They said, if you take 38 hours your senior year, you can graduate on team. I'm sold, I'll take it, okay? So that was my college career, and I, I, I get it, and I start working at this little part-time church and just helping out with the, with the youth ministry there, and because I just felt like that's what I should do, that was, you know, kind of what God had given me and called, I, you know, I want to volunteer in the church, but I'm not thinking I'm going to do this thing for a living. And um, because I grew up in a little small church when I was, a, when I was in high school, I went to this church and our, pat, you know, we, we maybe had a hundred on a great Sunday and my pastor was the only one paid, he made a hundred dollars a week and he was a butcher. And so, and I didn't want to be a preacher. Come on, what teenager wants to be a preacher? Not me. If you'd have told me I was going to be doing, if you'd have told 17-year-old Ron you're going to be a preacher one day, I'd go, and you smoke crack. That's what I would have thought. I would just thought, you got to be kidding. I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a preacher when I was 17, when I was 22, when I was 27. I mean, I didn't want to, I never really thought about it. But you know what happened? God uh, got me a job. My mother was a principal in the school district and the, the parish is what we call them in Louisiana. And uh, she, she was on, ended up on the school board. And so there was a school away from us uh, that needed a special education teacher. And, and I'd had special ed classes and I'd done part of my work there. Of course, I was well qualified uh, a little bit to do something, but not really nothing, but nothing really qualified for. But they didn't have enough teachers. They said, okay, we'll hire you and then you can work on uh, your cert- certification here. So I do that. And I start and I coached at that little high school and I kept helping out at that little church. And after a year or so, I just kind of came to the place where I remember just thinking, God, what do you want me to do? God, I thought it was going to be professional baseball. And then I didn't know what it was going to be. I've tried everything. And what do you want me to do? I just want to be faithful. And 
it wasn't until God really got a hold of my heart and just said, I just want you to seek me. I want you to seek my heart. I want you to develop a prayer life. I want you to begin to spend time with me daily. And I want you to get to know me. And I want you to just get to know my heart. And it was during that time that I felt like God was leading me to go to seminary. I, I still didn't think I would necessarily be a minister full-time. But I was working at this little church part-time. And I thought, I just keep telling them stuff I heard growing up. And now I'm kind of out of things to say. So I thought, it'd be good for me to go to seminary. It seems like I like to go to school and get random degrees anyway. And so I'm going to go do that. I remember talking to my pastor. He said, I think that's a good idea. And it was really at seminary that I found out I'm going to do this full time. And, um, and even the church planning thing, I never thought about it. That was never on my radar. But you know what happened? God was just calling me to be with him. He wasn't calling me to do something. He was calling me to be something, to be a follower of Christ, to trust him for today and quit worrying about 10 years from now. That's great if you have a plan. I went to school with a girl when she was six years old. God called her to be a medical missionary. She went through, and now she's in Nepal doing that. And that happens sometimes. But a lot of us, God brings us to a spot, and we didn't plan on being exactly where we are, but God has opened doors. And now he just wants us to be faithful where we are. He's called us to bring him glory. He's called us to know him and to make him known. And that's the paradigm shift we need to make. Instead of saying where, it's about who. Who is God calling you to be today? You know what the Bible says about God's will? Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. God says, or Paul is saying right here in the word of God, he's saying, I don't want you to conform to the pattern of the world, but I want you to renew your mind. Let me transform your mind as you begin to read and to study and to meditate on Scripture. As you begin to pray and seek my heart, let me renew your mind. So many of us, we need our minds renewed because um, we're so much like our kids at Christmas You know, when your kids are three, four, and five, you can't say, well, you know, I'm going to wrap this gift up. Here's a college education, and here's another great opportunity for you, and put those under the the tree and think they're going to be excited or happy. No, they'll be mad. They'll cry. They'll scream. Trust me, we've tried it. They'll scream and they'll cry. They're going to want something that's tangible, something that they want now. And so many of us are like our children. We want to say, God, give me what I want, then I'll be delighted. That's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But we want to say, God, delight me, and then I'll give you what you want. Put it under the tree just like I want it, and then I'll be thankful. Then I'll be grateful. Then I'll serve you. Then then we can both be happy. But God say, no, I want you to be happy, so to speak. I want you to desire. I want you to worship me in spite of regardless of what's happening in life, regardless of how things are going, regardless of you're where you want to be, I'm creating you into the image of Christ. And you are to be a light to others, not by where you go, not by what you do for a living, but by who you are for my sake, for my glory. Paul goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God 
for you in Christ Jesus. God's will is this. It is that you rejoice, that you pray continually, and that you give thanks for where you are. You give thanks for what you have. You know, I wish you could see what I see every Sunday morning. You know, a lot of times I was thinking about the last service uh, we were in here, and I was I noticed some people who life is going well. They've talked about their blessings and they're praising God. But then I look around and I see people. I saw one lady who's got uh, terminal cancer. And I see another who lost their spouse and another who's lost their spouse and another who's lost a child. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing these people worship and praise God. And we're singing that song, for all my life you have been faithful. For all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And I see that. I think, oh my goodness. You talk about worship. You talk about a witness. You talk about a testimony. Though God, you slay me like Job said, yet will I trust you. God, though the doctor says it's terminal, though the doctor says it's over, God, I will still trust you and I will still sing of your goodness even when I am suffering, even when I'm struggling, even when I'm hurting. That is such a testimony of the greatness and the goodness of God that, God, you are bigger. And I choose not to live in the moment in the terror of the moment forever, though I may feel it, I am trusting that, God, you are bigger and that one day you will make all things new. One day you will give a new life and a new home and a new place in which I will live, and I'll see those who have gone on in Christ. And so with every breath that I am, oh God, I'm going to sing of your goodness and of your praises. Wow, that's the goodness of God. That's what God's calling us to be. Now, David we're going to look at his story here in just a moment. And you know the story of David. We're going to look at 1 Samuel just very briefly in chapter 23. And here's what's transpiring. David has been uh, anointed as the king of Israel. One day he will be the king. But because of his faithfulness, he fought Goliath. Saul brought him into the, into the palace. And because he could play the harp, Paul brings him, or Saul brings him in to play for him. And then he makes him a leader over the, in the military, and he's successful in campaign after campaign, and the people start to recognize him, and then Saul gets jealous. So now Saul wants to kill him. Why? Because he's done something wrong? No, because he's done something right. You ever had one of those times where you did something right, and now people are persecuting you? He's being persecuted. He's being, he's being attacked. He's being sought because of what he did right. And so, and what he's been instructed to do. So now Saul's trying to kill him, and he's running around in the desert. He's running around the wilderness. He's going across uh, into other countries, and he's just trying to survive. Have you ever been there? David's faithful. He knows there's been a promise given, but he doesn't know when, and he is just trying to survive till the next day while trusting God. You ever been there? Some of you know what it's exactly like. Let me tell you how I do this. You wonder how I do this? Here's how it works. Every time I squeeze it, it goes down. And when I release it, it goes up. Some of you in here today are being squeezed. And in every one of our lives, there are times where we're being squeezed. And we cry out to God. And we say, God, I need you. And we start to rise a little bit, and some of us get stuck. We get stuck. And God's saying, trust me. Well, God, what's your will? So what's the end game? Where am I going to be? And how's this all going to work out? Then say, no, I want you to just trust me. I want you to release it to me. Some of us are like C.S. Lewis says, God's megaphone is pain to a lost and dying world. 
where he gets our attention and we say, yes, Lord. But again, some of us get stuck. And David is in that spot where he could easily be stuck. But you know what happens during this time? For 10 years, he's on the run for nothing that he did wrong. For 10 years, he's evading Saul who's seeking to kill him, who has the full force of the Israeli army searching for him. And time after time, he's evading him. Why? Just because he's been faithful. And he doesn't know when this is going to end. And you know what he does during that time? He writes over 20 psalms that we read today. Psalms of lament, psalms of praise. He's writing all these psalms while he's being chased in the desert, while he's not sure how he's going to be provided for the next day. And we read them today. Why? Because David was being squeezed and formed, and he couldn't understand why. We look back now, and we're thankful. We're thankful for what happened to David. We all benefit and profit from the word of God. But David didn't know that. He was asked to be faithful right where he was, at work, at home, at school. Now That's where we pick up right here in 1 Samuel. And the Bible says this. It says, now they told David, behold, the Philistines, who are uh, the enemy, so to speak. That's who Goliath was from are fighting against Keilah and robbing the threshing floors. Keilah was a border town in Israel, and the Philistines would come over here, and this during the harvest time, they're taking all the crops, they're taking livestock, they're probably even going to cart some of the people away as, as slaves. And somebody escapes and comes and says, David, can you help us? And therefore David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. So David is on the run himself. He's trying to get away from the attacks himself. And if he goes, that's probably not a good thing because Paul or Saul will know exactly where he is. So does he help with this need that's been presented to him? Or does he just stay put and hide? And it's a legitimate question. But David has been seeking the heart of God. And we don't know exactly how he heard from God. There's, there's several ideas that we have, but we're not sure exactly how he heard God. But David in this time of running, David in this time, a man after God's own heart, is, is pursuing God and seeking the heart of God, is practicing spiritual disciplines. He hears the voice of God. And God tells him, go. Go and attack these Philistines. And the Lord says to David, attack them and save Keilah. But David's men said, behold, we're afraid in Judah. Israel is against us. Saul is against us. How much more if we go against the armies of the Philistines? They're even larger. Now we're going to have two armies. Saul will know where he are. The Philistines will be hacked off. And there's about four or 500 of us. This seems like a really bad idea. So David goes back to God on their behalf. And the Bible says, then David inquired. He prays. He seeks the Lord again. And the Lord answered him. Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow so that David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. I encourage you to read the rest of the story because he inquires of the Lord two more times in this chapter. But here's a couple of interesting insights. First of all, what if David had gone and he had not been successful? Would that have been God? Yeah. Did you know that sometimes God asks you to go places that are hard? Sometimes he asks you to do things that on the outside is not successful. Maybe it's uh, teach class, volunteer, something at work, whatever it is, and you go, God, 
that didn't work. That must not have been God. Sometimes God takes us into situations and scenarios that are not what we want and we can't see. Hey, that's not successful. Sometimes God is forming us just to trust him. He's bringing us down to our knees where we will hear him and listen. Sometimes he's got a bigger plan than that. Sometimes he's teaching us how to write psalms. You're not going to be writing any Bible, by the way, but sometimes he's teaching us to do something and learn a discipline and learn a trait and learn a characteristic of Christ that he can use us further for his glory. But in this instance, God gave him faith, and he said, go, and God used him. And he saved the city of Keilah, and then he left because he inquired of God before Saul got there. God was faithful even when David didn't understand how, even when David didn't know necessarily was next because he learned to hear God. So how do we hear God today? Well, let me give you six simple steps for us hearing God today. The first one is this. The first one is prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. How do I hear from God? Well, through what you would expect, prayer and scripture and listening. You know, we put out little devotions just to get you started. They're not meant to be uh, your substance for life. It's just to get you in the habit of spending time with God. So if you want that or need that, you can do it, and you can do it in two minutes. That's not where we want you to stay. We want you to grow in your faith. But having that spiritual discipline of spending time with God where you seek him and where you're still before him so that God might prepare your heart to speak into your soul. Number two, focus on the goodness of God and his glory. As we sing that song, for all my life, you have been faithful. As we sing for his glory, as we worship him, we are accomplishing the primary purpose that we were created for, which is to bring worship and glory to God. And as we sing of his goodness, we are accomplishing his will. Remember we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5 a while ago, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in you in Christ Jesus. Number three, when you're trying to make a decision, gather the facts and get neutral. What do I mean by that? So many times we bring what we want to God and tell him to bless it. God you know, we really need a new house, and I want this one. And so, God, if you want me to have this house, then make me feel good. Make me want it. If you want me to have this new car, make me want it. Make me feel good inside. You know, that's that same thing about following your passions, which is good. Again, I'm, I'm all for people following their interests and wanting to create their interests, but then sometimes you got to get a job too. Uh, let's just all agree to that. And those are nice blessings that God gives us. But if we're not careful in these situations, we can let our desires trump the heart of God. God is saying, but are you ready for it? Does this bring me glory or is this just something that you want? Here's a good fact. Can you afford it? Will this cause you to compromise in other areas if you buy this? Gather the facts. Be neutral. And then a good thing to do next is seek godly counsel. What are some people in your life that could speak godly counsel into your life? Should you go there? Should you buy this? Should you stay at your job? Maybe you should just be faithful right where you are. Maybe you need to keep what you got. Maybe you need to, you know what? 
I don't know. But seek God's counsel, seek God's heart, and keep learning, seeking, and watching for God's providence. Keep seeking his heart. Don't say, I got the answer, now I'm done. So many times that's us. We got what we want, and then we disappear. But keep seeking, keep searching, keep waiting, keep being faithful, and then move forward when God opens a door that brings him glory. Sometimes we make this process way too hard. It's not whether you should buy the black car or the white car or or the red house or the white house. It's about who you are. It's about what you are seeking, what brings glory to God. And is your heart a heart of worship and thanksgiving? Or do you keep thinking, if I could just have this, then I'd be happy. Then you're probably not ready. God is saying, you know what? I want my glory before your happiness. And I love this, this passage of Scripture, Psalm 37, 40. He said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Learn to worship and delight yourself in me, then I'll give you the desires of your heart. And you know what he'll do? He'll transfer in your desires. Can I tell you this? I love my job. I can't imagine doing anything else. It's the best job in the world. But 17-year-old me, no way. 22-year-old me, no. 27-year-old me, 30-year-old, no. You know what God's done? He's changed my desires. As I seek him, as I'm faithful, he begins to change my heart. And now I get to do what I love. And if I was playing professional baseball, I'd be unemployed right now, okay? So what? Is God calling you to today? He's calling you to seek him. He's calling you to know him. He's calling you to be faithful. I'll never forget when we got this property, when we were first told, okay, Mr. Bunn said, we're going to sell you, I'm going to sell you this property. I'm going to give you some different acreage. So I went up to the city. And I told him what we were, I said, look, we just, we're buying this property and then we're going to put a church here and yada, yada. And I'll never get the lady look at me. And she goes, uh, that's never going to happen. And I go, what? She goes, no. She goes, that's the scenic corridor. You're never going to be able to build a church on there. She goes, I'm just telling you, you probably ought to look somewhere else. That's never going to happen. I said, really? She goes, yeah, you'd have to get all these petition signs. There's so much, she goes, that's, that's never going to happen. I remember walking out of there just how could this be right? How could this be fair? And I went and got some godly counsel. I'll never forget. Uh, one of the, the men told me, he said, um, you feel like God's opened this door? I said, yeah. You feel like God has given you this opportunity? Yeah. Do you feel like you should move forward? Yeah. And he goes, then do it. He said, you know, you always talk about faith being, faith is doing everything you honestly and ethically can and then trusting the rest of God. Are you doing everything you can? Have you talked to Ruth Brock, who's a real estate attorney? Have you, uh, have you talked to people in the city? Have you talked to the politicians? Have you talked to your church body, da-da-da, all that stuff? Uh, no. <laughs> so why don't you do that and see what happens? And you know what happened? <clears throat> there was a hurdle every time we looked up. And you know, and I think God often allows those hurdles to be there for our growth process so that we know it's not just us, that we're not just good enough to overcome all the obstacles before us. And so that's exactly what he did. He did it in spite of those obstacles. And he did it by saying, you know what? Don't quit through godly counsel and through people who knew more. Can I tell you this today? God is calling you not so much for where to be, 
but who he wants you to be today right where you are. Maybe it's in the classroom. Maybe it's in business. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's at school. But are you being faithful right where you are? And until you are, you're not going to be able to delight yourself in the Lord. It doesn't mean that you like it. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not hard. But to say, God, I will rejoice in your goodness, even though this is not where I want to be, even though this is not how I thought it was going to be, I give you thanks. And God, I'm asking you to use me in spite of things not going like I thought. Because I know that you're going to open doors as I seek you. And I'm probably going to end up in a different place, in a different manner, in a different position than what I expected. But it'll be for your glory. And so, Lord, I choose to trust you. As Job said, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. What will it take for you to be faithful to God, to be who he's calling you to be today? pray with me. Father, thank you so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And thank you, God, that you have been faithful. And though we may feel like right now we're in the desert running and trying to just survive, may we, we may feel like there are attacks and arrows being shot at us, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we've been faithful. And though we may think you are far away, the truth is we may be exactly where you knew we would be. And you're asking us to trust you today, to be faithful where we are, to praise you today, to glorify you today in spite of our circumstances. Lord, for believers in Christ Jesus, help us to understand who you are calling us to be and not get so entrenched in where or what I'm supposed to be doing. God, I pray that as we prepare to receive communion, as we receive of the bread and the cup, we will remember it was never your desire. It was not fun for you to come and live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we should have died. But you did it because it was for the will of the Father. It was for the glory of the Father that we might know Christ. And so the world has been transformed because of your faithfulness. Lord, let us go in that model as we receive of the bread and the cup. Let us remember our great Savior who gave. In your name I pray.